Switched on Asia, brought to you by AXA, delivering confidence. This is Switched on Asia. In this time of uncertainty and rapid change, it's never been more important to look after your mental health. And do you feel like you can be yourself at work? Are diversity and inclusion just buzzwords, or are we coming to grips with the real issues that people face? Joining me today is Lynn Franks, OBE, a lifelong advocate, communications strategist, writer, and spokeswoman on female empowerment, sustainability, and consumer lifestyles, along with Benita Chick, an up-and-coming advocate from Encompass Hong Kong. And as always, CEO of AXA Asia and Africa, Gordon Watson. Today we're going to be talking about creating a nurturing and supportive workplace environment. I'm Deborah Mao and this is Switched on Asia, brought to you by AXA, delivering confidence. This is Switched on Asia. Gordon, it's nice to see you today. And I know today's topic is really close to your heart. So we're talking about creating a friendly workplace. And by that, we're not talking about a workplace where everybody's nice to you. So Gordon, tell us uh, at AXA, what does a friendly workplace look like? Well, I think it's like a hygiene factor of safety. You need to come to the office and you need to feel safe to come to the office, both from physical issues and mental issues. So bringing the best of yourself every day to work, I think, is really important. We have to create that safe space, that um, engaging space where people can thrive, but at the same time, you need the policies in place to, to uh, walk the talk. As you may know, it's Idahot Month. It's the International Day Against Homophobia, Transphobia, and Biphobia. And AXA sponsored its first ever, first ever global study in 2015 to analyze the importance of effective policies to support um, LGBTQ plus at work. And more recently, I understand that AXA Asia has um, invested in a study on whether companies are doing enough to promote um, diversity in offices and workplaces across several Asian countries. So why was it important for the companies to sponsor this type of study? Well, I think as a thought leader, you have to drive the discussion. You need to put yourself into the moccasins of the, the people who, the diverse people that work in your workplace and really understand what they're all about. And I think we learned a lot from the study. There really is a lot to be done. Mm. Were companies generally doing well? Um, not really, um, to be honest. So, for example, in Hong Kong, I think, uh, you, know, you know, approximately half of the people um, who um, were LGBT did not feel safe to come out in the workplace. In a country like Japan, for example, um, people felt, you know, LGBT people felt that they were moved to other departments. You know, in Japan they're called window jobs where you go and you don't get uh, promoted, etc. So we discovered uh, those kind of things um, uh, in the study. And also, for me, it was quite surprising that um, over two-thirds um, do not give same-sex same benefits. Uh, uh, to their staff in Asia. So that's over two thirds. So when you ask the question, how well are we doing? It was better than it was five, ten years ago, but clearly, you know, there's still two thirds to go. Switched on Asia, brought to you by AXA, delivering confidence. Understanding and education are so vital. So we asked listeners to take part in a short quiz to see how much they actually knew. Ready to take the challenge? 
Let's get started. What does the L in LGBTQIA stand for? That's an obvious one. Lesbian. And what about G? G for girl. Girl, giraffe. Wait, LG. The G um, stands for gay. Gay, gay, gay. Yeah. that's it. B, you know what's coming next. Bisexual. 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 Oh, yes, good. What does the T stand for? Yeah, transsexual. Transsexual. Transgender. We concur. How about Q? Of course, I know the answer. I have no idea. Queer. 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 Questioning? Question. Questioning. What is the I in LGBTQIA? I. 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 Can I say I'm not sure? <laughs> Cannot think of anything. Intersexual. Intersex. Intersexual. And the final letter in LGBTQIA. What's the answer to that one? A. Um, I'm not aware of it. A is ally. Friends of LGBTQ. I think it's going to be ally. It's asexual. No, it's ally. Asexual. It's so obvious. No, I think it's ally. They are both right. Celebrating diversity. No, you can. Well, thank you to everyone who took part in that. Um, now, joining us today in our very friendly workplace, um, we have Lynn Franks, uh, live from the UK, and here in the studio, Benita Chick. Uh, thank you both for being here. Thank you. Now, you're both very experienced in your fields, uh, but things have changed a lot over the last year and, of course, over the last uh, 20 to 30 years. So, Lynn, maybe you could share with us, can you remember at the beginning of your career uh, any times when you felt that diversity in the workplace was not encouraged? Interesting question about diversity in the workplace for me, having started my career actually 40 years ago, um, or 50 years ago almost, um, there was diversity for certain roles, but it was very much the women as secretaries. When I first started, I worked in an advertising agency and the executives, 90% were men, quite a few of them ex-militaries men actually, officers. And um, this was actually a PR company attached to an advertising agency in the sort of late 60s, early 70s. And so women were very much the ones that would go and make the tea and do the secretarial work. Um, and things changed. I went to work on a teenage magazine when I was about 21 called Petticoat. And that obviously was all women, uh, apart from the art director, because it was for women. So uh, strong pioneers like Janet Street Porter and Eve Pollard were there also. It was a, a kind of launch pad for young women journalists. Um, and as I continued on, I was finally at my own PR company when I was not long after I left Petticoat, actually, and I was in my early 20s. Um, it was a woman's world because I was in fashion. So it was men generally that owned the ad agencies and women that would start these small PR companies from their kitchen table and work for fashion designers and retailers. And it, I didn't find so much uh, blockage to diversity, but that was because of the industry I was in. But as I started developing my work supporting women with Seed, um, I had women from uh, the legal profession or particularly the legal profession, the accountancy profession, engineering, the more linear type of industries uh, were full of women who felt that they were 
still treated as the secretaries, even though we're on a high level. Things are changing, thank goodness, finally. But we still have a way to go with equality of salaries. Wage gap is still huge. And attitudes are still very dated in terms of having enough women on the board. It should all be 50-50 for senior management anywhere. So um, I feel very, very committed to uh, promoting that that we have to have 50-50 on every area of leadership, really. Mm. And Benita, throughout your career, you've worked for several NGOs in addition to being a scuba diving instructor. Did you find that when you were picking which organizations to work with that you you um, really selected for shared values? Uh, yes, I think um, that there are several themes in my career. Uh, one is youth development and the other is uh, environmentalism. So I've worked with Overbound, which I was able to uh, work with differently abled individuals or marginalized group and the Earth Watch on citizen science. And I, I do think those who have a shared commitment uh, in, in, in diversity, in, in uh, community development is very important for me. Mm. And um, on a day-to-day basis, how do you think, what do you think is the best way to create uh, an environment where people can be themselves at work and be true to themselves? I think there's uh, uh, different ways of looking at it. There's a top-down approach where uh, there's diversity policy uh, implemented by the management, uh, where there's discrimination or quota, uh, and then there's the bottom-up approach where there's a culture. And I think uh, a company can do a lot in terms of uh, fostering an inclusive culture, whether it's through training and awareness or different campaign, and an environment that uh, people feel safe uh, to call out if there are inappropriate uh, behaviors, if there's any sort of uh, uh, inappropriate language or different thing, people feel safe and they know who to talk to. Uh, I also talk a lot about uh, allyship uh, in, in, my, in, my, in my work and I think uh, for, for people who are in the majority group to show support for those in the minority group, whether it's LGBT, disability or different marginalized group, um, and, and so employees feel that they are being supported. Lynn, I know that you recently started an online working space for women. Do you think that physical environment is still important? I think we're going to see a huge change coming up post-lockdown, certainly in the UK and post this whole COVID uh, situation, if there ever is a post-COVID situation, because people are not going to go back to working in offices every day. I think the idea of working from home, particularly for women so they can fit in their parenting uh, around it and their other personal needs is too tempting. Having said that, I don't think people want to be in isolation either. So what's happened with the pandemic is that um, I and others have started for women um, spaces where there can be peer mentorships. How that um, manifests, which I think will be a hybrid of being online being in online spaces where we can mentor each other and help and do business together and be in real-time spaces where we can be normal human beings again. (laughs) Now, we just celebrated International Women's Day a couple of months ago, and um, it feels like steps are being taken across industries to improve um, gender equality. Now, Lynn, I know that International Women's Day is an important day of the year for you. Um, do you think we are doing enough? Um, yes, International Women's Day is a very important day for me. And in fact, uh, interestingly, I was involved in um, business, women's business events in the Middle East, in Saudi Arabia. And I was also doing workshops in Kazakhstan. That's one of the things about working from home and being on Zoom now is you don't actually go to 
half the places that you speak at. So there's a lot going on across the world that's very different from probably from what goes on within the UK. Um, but I think the main key point is flexibility. I think any employers must appreciate that flexibility has got to be part of the uh, staff retaining or retaining your most talented leaders. A lot of companies are doing a lot to support women in the workplace because they don't want to lose them. Those who are not will lose them and will wake up to the fact that they have to create a different system of working if they want to retain women and, and many men too who really do want to work in a more flexible way and um, it's changing the whole system and pattern of, of management is changing never mind just the way we work in terms of giving more people a voice and a more circular management system as opposed to linear and encouraging leadership from the bottom up as opposed from the top down. We're going to see huge shifts, even more than we're seeing right now. And I think it's all good. And it's not just for women. I think the whole work pattern and work-life balance is going to look very, very different. Gordon, we have to ask you, since you're the only guy on the panel, how do you look at women's issues and also as a manager? So first of all, I believe totally in a meritocracy. Um, you know, the best person should get the job. But as Lynn said, we need to work flexibly. You know, and we have smart working where you can choose how many days you come to the office, you know, where it's young mothers, etc. Um, so I think the, the biggest single issue is probably the pipeline of uh, young female leaders is coming up is not big enough. So if you don't have the pipeline, it's more difficult. And I think that's why a lot of companies are struggling. Uh, fortunately, you know, in AXA, uh, we, have, we have gender parity. So we have six uh, female CEOs who are actually pretty good, to say the least. Um, so we're already at parity, maybe even uh, more so. Uh, but I think, I just don't understand why people say it's too difficult because it's just the way, it's just the way it should be. And if you, it, it, maybe you have to make extra efforts to create that pipeline and be flexible. And I think those are probably the two main areas to focus on to improve. But of course, that's the way it should be. So on that meritocracy point, Lynn, um, how can we empower women to take the lead, but at the same time not become a threat to their male colleagues and uh, not to make them feel like there's some type of favoritism or that they're at a disadvantage? So as much as I believe that women really must be able to move into leadership roles, I don't believe in tokenism either. And there was at the beginning a certain amount of tokenism. And that's not just women. I mean, diversity generally. So there would be people of color, so many people of color on a board, so many women. On people have got to be there because they are good enough to be there. But having said that, the classic pattern has been that male board members, managing directors, CEOs, chairs, etc., will ask people to join them on the board who reflect who they are. So that is why if you've got middle-aged white men on boards, they will ask other middle-aged white men to come and join them because that's where they're comfortable. So um, again, we've got to see a situation of women being given the opportunities fairly. And why shouldn't they? I mean, are we saying there aren't as many, if not more, women who can do these jobs as well, if not better, than men? Of course there are. I mean, if we look at the results of women in universities, women in schools, how well they do, they, they do the entry point of a, a corporate career, let's say, or, or in one of the professions, 
and then they start being held back. And it's not just because they're going to go off and have babies. It's because the system does not give them the opportunity. Various aspects of a feminine way of doing business that were not taken seriously up till fairly recently as positive ways of leadership. Using your intuition, that was never taken seriously. And yet it's very natural for women to kind of look at the logic, do the analysis, look at the data and use their intuition. And there's many successful entrepreneurs, men and women, who have worked that way. So I think we're realizing more and more, and we're seeing the proof of the more feminine, softer skills. Let's not not genderize it. The softer skills are very valuable to businesses, particularly relationships and listening and empathy. I mean, empathy was never considered a business skill. Now it's absolutely essential, particularly in some kind of leadership management roles. So, yeah, it's it's a changing time. I want to come to Benita. Your organization, uh, Encompass HK, you run workshops to help businesses address their um, inclusivity and uh, diversity policies. So what are the changes that you see in relation to the LGBTQ plus um, individuals? What, what, top, what um, challenges are they facing at work? Coming out at work uh, or um, in a personal level uh, can be challenging for both students or uh, employees and who to come out uh, to and when to come out or whether you are being come out or you are being called by somebody. I think that's always a challenge. Um, the other I think is um, it could be ignorance of some colleagues. Uh, I think uh, the whole issue about inclusive language or pronouns or how to address LGBT, especially maybe they are transitioning, that could be challenging uh, for, for, for some other colleagues. So you, you probably need some awareness of that so people feel welcome. The feeling of isolation. So if there are not many uh, people in your company that come out, will you be feeling very isolated if you come out or how do you connect with other colleagues who may be heterosexual? So I think that there's that's a few issues there. Mm. Yeah. And I thought maybe we could do a PSA, public service uh, announcement here, which is um, just for people who actually find these areas quite challenging to navigate. Um, how should people um, use their language? For example, what's what? Yeah, we know there's a fine line between joking around and just like casual banter. So, mm -hmm. like, where is that line? How would you define it? Uh, it's it's quite challenging. Uh, banter can be very friendly exchange, just teasing. Uh, it could be saying, "Hey, your your your, your teacher is so gay." If between two friendly colleagues, so is that is that banter, or if if that taken out of context, that could be also bullying, uh, discrimination, homophobic language. Um, I, I I think uh, it 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 is very difficult to tell sometimes, and it's not the intention of the the person who say it, but the impact it it do. Uh, I I think uh, in general, I think. Uh, uh, we need to be uh, raise more awareness of what language is, is acceptable in the workplace and be careful of when banter go too far and become uh, bullying. So when, when anybody feel uncomfortable with certain language, so maybe there are uh, policies or uh, ways that uh, employees can express that. Because it's a very individual feeling whether something is go too far. So uh, I think that's definitely a very fine line. Mm, yeah. So watch the impact yeah. you're saying, right? Gordon, what do you think? No, I, I think uh, sometimes it's very difficult and I think you have to be pragmatic, but I think uh, Benita's exactly right. It's how the person who receives it feels. Um, it may not be intentional, so we need to be very cognizant and very aware of that. So it's really about, you know, how did that person receive that? And bullying for me is like the worst possible thing ever. And 
you know, usually a bully knows when they're being a bully and you always have to stand up uh, quite uh, dramatically to that. But sometimes there are situations where people say things in an innocent way and they're taken the wrong way and we need to do our very best uh, to stop that. So here's the final question for everybody. As individuals, companies or NGOs, can we influence societal values? Lynn, what do you think? I would like to see that society influences the way that businesses and NGO thinks rather than the other way around. I do think that businesses can do good in society. So society, particularly consumers, are in a position where they can use their purchasing power to say, we want you to be good guys. We don't want you to destroy the environment. We don't want to live in a world which is just based on more, more, more. We want to, base, we want to buy, we want to work for, we want to be part of a sustainable, circular economy that is going to help everybody and um, that's what we're seeing slowly emerging and it's very exciting in terms of seeing certain cities like Amsterdam becoming a circular economy or donut economy city circular economy becoming almost common usage now of how we can make sure that business can help the environment certainly support its its workers certainly support all the stakeholders in a healthy way and that well-being has become a word that is recognized by business in every sense as it should because mental health is such a huge issue now um, and for businesses it's very very crucial that they take true care of their staff and their teams so yeah I think society can make the changes and that the business world and the NGO world hopefully will be listening. And what about you, Benita? Can we change society's values? I, I really like what Lynn was saying about mental health. I, I actually came out uh, on LinkedIn a, a few months ago as, as a uh, uh, suffering from bipolar disorder, and uh, actually I received uh, outpouring support from my colleagues and professional contacts. Uh, uh, I'm just a very small individual, but I think just uh, being open about that mental health dialogue really helped change the mental health stigma. Mm, amazing. And Gordon, what's the role of companies in this? Well, I definitely agree that um, the private sector should play a massive role. I chair uh, the Shared Value Initiative here in Hong Kong. Um, and Shared Value is, you know, it's, you, you have philanthropy, which is great. You have CSR, which is great. But Shared Value is really putting, taking real social issues like mental health and putting them to the core of your strategy. So you develop products to help people with mental health. So for me, that is much more sustainable. So we have a group of companies from Nestle to Barclays um, and we all get together again for collective impact because the biggest business, you look at it through a, a business person's lens, the biggest opportunities for the future are the social issues of today and they have to be addressed. So if you look at it from a business lens and you look at it from a societal lens um, with everything the ESG, Larry Fink and all that talking about, that's what can be really great to sustain companies which will help sustain you know, um, the world. And for me, shared value really is what it's all about. So you have NGOs, you have governments, you have private sector, you have users, we're all working together and creating you know, everybody's business. Mm. It seems like gone are the days when business can stay on the sidelines, right? Well, <laughs> of course, I mean, you can just do something inane or whatever, but if you really want to have a sustainable business that, um, you know, the asset management community 
you know, really want to invest in the, the companies who are doing the right thing. And to do the right thing, you need to be tackling these social issues. So I, I, I think it's good for business in addition to be the right thing to do and good for society. So I think if those are the companies that will succeed in the future. Thank you guys so much for joining me on this podcast today. And um, these are hugely important issues for all of us and uh, hope for more and more progress. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you, Benita. Thank, Thank you. Thank you for listening to Switched on Asia, brought to you by AXA, delivering confidence. Make sure you hit the subscribe or follow button to make sure you never miss an episode. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, then please leave us a review and a five-star rating. It really helps people to find us. I'm Deborah Mao, and this was Switched on Asia, brought to you by AXA, delivering confidence. Thank you for listening to Switched on Asia, brought to you by AXA, delivering confidence.